0: You're by my perfect fire, my perfect. Hello. Life. You didn't even know I pushed record. I saw your finger hit the trackpad.
1: Alright. Hello everybody and welcome to The Word on the Hill. Morning. This is the Lanky guys. You're listening to Dr. Scott Powell. And Father Peter Musett. Father Peter Musset. Dude, did you just you just laid it out, dude? <laughs> it is my title. This uh, show is somewhat loosely academic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> loosely yeah i was thinking about it the scholarly other day. maybe and maybe not like, academic but scholarly and i was like i was like who is the straight guy on this podcast you know like and i think I, he, i'm the definition of it yeah i mean you are yeah and I, I am
1: bert to your ernie <laughs> i am abbott to your costello as i don't know who, which one's which i don't know it doesn't but matter. Who, who's on first uh, i am your i am your ed mcmahon to your dude, johnny you're, carson you're the Larry i am your my curly I'm the Larry Dierker Curly. I am the uh what's that guy's name? Andy the 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 guy on on the Conan uh, O'Brien. No, never, I'm your Andy Richter to your Conan O'Brien. Dude,
0: that's Trying a, to think a, of all the uh But how duos that I can think of? I mean, there's a lot of uh, you're my pen to my teller. I don't know. He doesn't even talk. Does I know he? <laughs> I don't even know, man. That's a terrible reverence. <laughs> well, you guys, we're in the middle of Lent.
1: Oh man, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> no, Lent, this is I've been feeling this Lent, I have to say. Dude. There's been there's been a I guess it's appropriate, but there's been a, a heaviness and a real sense of sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a hard Lent. I yeah, have to be honest with you.
0: Dude, I uh, I think that there's like good things in this Lent, but I feel like I've been in a boxing match the whole time. Yeah. Uh, who's winning? Um, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't even know. <laughs> the, uh, the rounds, I can't even call the rounds, man. You I'm in the middle rounds. of the fight, dude. Well,
1: and, I remember Jacob, after he wrestled with God in the wilderness, um, had a limp for the rest of his life. Sciatica. So sometimes the, the marks of the battle can be a good thing.
0: So take that. Take that. Well, um, depending <laughs> on uh, how your Lent's going, you may be really anticipating listening to us, or you may have gotten this as a penance in the confessional. So chances are either way you're dreading it. <laughs> no, no, I <laughs> hope <murr>. you're not.
1: Anyway, it is the uh, so it's the fourth Sunday of Lent. How many Lents are how many Lents are there? How many how Lents many weeks are, there? are there? There's in Lent? one Lent. Is it six weeks the in Lent? Great Lent. Lent. Um, we have one forty seven days. Three more weeks, including Holy Week. So there, there you go. go. Well, anyway, uh, our readings for the fourth Sunday of Lent. Yes, are we are we ready to go, dude? I'm I'm
0: it? I'm in it, man. I'm in it to win it. Okay.
1: All right, good. <laughs> well, our first reading is coming from the book of Joshua. Joshua. <laughs> Joshua is a good book. We don't get to read very much of Joshua. No, we really enough. don't.
0: I always wish they would spell Joshua with the, with a Y, though. What? Yeah. Where would, would be, they Where would be, they put it? Yeah, the J would be a Y. Oh, yeah, Yoshua. Yoshua. I mean, that's. joshua
1: my... is the most uh, grammatically correct in the Hebrew. Oh. Yoshua. Does anyone, you know, try, quick Bible trivia, everybody. Who else had the name Yoshua in the Bible? Uh, uh, the Son of God. Oh, yes, Jesus. Very good. It's the same name. That is a fun piece of trivia, though, that that's... Joshua and
0: Jesus are actually the exact same name. So if you know anybody named Josh or Jesus, yeah, you could just kid around with them. What? Yeah.
1: Oh, Josh.
0: I just got it. Yeah. No, I'm there. <laughs> dude, okay. You, you know what the best humor is? is has, The one that the other person doesn't get? Time release, dude. It's all about time release.
1: Our first reading is coming from the book of Joshua. Chapter 5, verse 9a. We don't get the second half of that verse, which is okay. <laughs> Jumping to the very next verse, verse 10 through 12. So 9a through 1012. 10,
0: 10 through 12. 9a and then 10 <laughs> through 12. We got it. We'll talk about them together. <laughs> It's good, it's good. Our psalm is Psalm 34. You bet it is. 2 to 3, 4 to 5, 6 to 7 with yeah. the response roll ro- 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 from 9A. Thank you, Scooby-Doo. Our <laughs> second reading is
1: coming from 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 17 through 21.
0: Well, that was fast. didn't You didn't even do anything for that one. Okay. I said it. I know. I read the I read the reading. And then Luke is 15, 1 to 3, 11 to 32. Oh how boring you are now! Which is no. that? What you're trying to imply to me? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing dude. my job. Yeah, because you're the straight man. Just doing my on job, the job, dude. Oh, for Pete's sake! Well, this is funny because like I started wreaking, reeking <laughs> I started wreaking havoc on the Gospel of Luke. I was reading the Gospel of Luke, and um, <laughs> the next thing you know, I I looked down and I was like, I was like, what am I reading? This is in because I kept reading straight. I was not reading in like a liturgical manual. Got it. And um. And then I realized is liturgical manual, is that a thing? No, okay. it's not. I'm just saying I'm just saying stuff today, I, okay? I'm with you. You're, I'm tracking. Scott's so feisty today, you guys, that um I'm just trying to hold him back. Is really my yeah. is my whole job.
1: I'm Yeah, I'm feisty, I guess.
0: Am I feisty? Yeah, is that the right word? Well, I'm feisty too. Yeah, no, you're feisty. We had spicy
1: jalapeno bratwurst for lunch. <laughs> that's why.
0: <laughs> do you guys know how many times oh we eat
1: nachos and bratwurst for lunch? Yes, they do because mm-hmm. we tell them incessantly. Okay. So, anyway. Let's talk about Joshua. Yeah, here's the thing about Joshua. It's all about circumcision, but we don't know <laughs> it. <laughs> it is.
0: Which is which it was funny. I went on the March for Life in San Francisco. Okay. And um and somebody was holding up a sign no, like, like, against circumcision. No. And and I was just like, I was like, man. Did you walk up to him and you were like, cut it out? Oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, Briss, please. I was going to say (laughs) Briss. I was going to make a joke about saying Briss, but like, I just don't. I couldn't come. I couldn't come over there. That's for the best. (laughs) Yeah. Well,.
1: Can we leave that in? Is that appropriate? <laughs> uh, yeah. Do I need
0: to take that out? I don't know.
1: All right. We'll review it in, and we'll in, find in out post. based on the angry emails we get. <laughs> this is the moment in Joshua. If you remember the story, Israel has been released from slavery in Egypt. They were in the Exodus event, right? They were held in slavery. God performed these mighty deeds, let them free. Um, they made it to Mount Sinai where he gave them his law. They rejected him. They worshiped a golden calf, one of the gods of Egypt. They treated themselves and each other within great sin. It was it was a ugly moment. And then a bunch of people got killed because they did not got, worship the Lord. A bunch of people got killed, and as a result, <laughs> as a result, they wandered in the wilderness for about forty years. So that number is a very specific has a very specific meaning for Israel, because it's the length of about a generation. So, God. There, and we talked about this last week. Here's this whole generation of people who saw the mighty works of God, who lived through His acts of redemption, who experienced the fruit of that, and all these things. But yet their hearts were so hardened to it. And most of them, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, never got to actually see the Promised Land. Well, they could see it, but they never entered into it. Even Moses doesn't well, they, actually get to go in.
0: Well, they all they got to see it for a long time because, like, the, as they were the, sitting on its border, staring the, the, into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like
1: that wilderness was huge. Yeah, no, it's true. But they never entered it, right? That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they saw it. You're right. Yeah. Which would have added the pain. Yeah, they'd have been it, like,
0: right? they'd been like, oh,
1: Jesus. There it is over there. Um, but now in this part of the story, this is where Israel, it's finally time for Israel to enter into the promised land. And so it, it begins by the Lord saying to Joshua, today I have removed the reproach from Egypt from you. The reason I said it's about circumcision, which... Uh, the focus Bible study that I, I lead every Thursday, they always make fun of me because I bring up circumcision so much and they make fun of me a lot for that because they don't realize how prominent the idea of circumcision is in the Bible, especially in the New Testament because it's a big, this is the covenant marker well, and well, for the is, whole.
0: This is my question. Did they really spend a lot of time nude with each other? I mean, like. No. I hope not. Well, I don't I mean, think so. I mean, why is it the covenant marker then? I mean, like, I mean, know oh, that if you, if you, you got, you, you mean that, yeah, it's obvious. I mean, I don't understand why it's a covenant mark. Because it's a a circumcision. I mean, I I know it got called for.
1: Well, frankly, it's a punishment. And this is why baptism, it, it, it it was a punishment to Abraham, quite frankly. And circumcision doesn't show up in the story until Abraham disobeys God, sleeps with his maidservant, and has a child out of wedlock. Then and only then does God command that they have to be circumcised as a reminder to remember that God will always be faithful to the things that he promised to do. Remember, Abraham does not trust that God will actually give him descendants through Sarai, his wife. Right. So he takes matters into his own hands. He, you know, he, he causes a lot of problems, causes a huge mess. And as a result, God says, as a way of showing me your faithfulness and the fact that you do trust me, I want you to do this. And I want every generation after you to actually do this as well. But the, the the punishment kind of fits the crime in a certain sense. There's no way that Abraham could live his life, to put it without getting into it, without the constant reminder of what he had done. And there's no way anybody in his household or people who come after him could not be reminded of the thing that he did that rejected God's plan and how God wanted something different for them.
0: Whoa, I never thought
1: about it that way. Well, which is why in the New Testament, it's changed. It's not... The circumcision that we had in the Old Testament, it's a new kind of circumcision, a circumcision without hands. The waters of baptism are a new circumcision. All of these things, the fact that it requires bloodshed, that only one of the genders can actually take part in it in that way, all of these things should remind you that that's maybe not plan A for God. It's maybe not the ideal of what he wants. It is a temporary solution. It's a temporary marker. Well, it's a permanent marker on the person who has it, but, but again, God... God wants something more. This the the whole of the Old Testament law. Remember, was Plan B. Right now, granted, circumcision doesn't show up in Deuteronomy. It shows up way before that. Right. But every time you see laws like this, it tends to be as punishment for sin. Right. right. So as Israel is now about to go into the Promised Land. Joshua has to stop and make sure everyone is circumcised, which is kind of a strange thing. Most of chapter, the beginning of the first, you know, eight chapters or eight verses or so of chapter five are all about this, this ceremony that's done, which I can see why the church doesn't emphasize that in the liturgy, but this is what's done. But the idea was... Is that why we're missing half a verse? No, it's, well, sort of, but this is what's happening in chapter five. And then once this is all done, then... It's not that they're prepared specifically to go into the promised Land. It's that now they're prepared to celebrate the Passover. and the th- <laughs> was that you that was my stomach. But the thing about the Passover, and I don't know if we've talked about this before, do you know how many times the Passover is celebrated in the Old Testament? Well, sorry, let me qualify that. Presumably the Passover is celebrated every, every year. year. but do you know how many times the Passover is mentioned in the Old Testament Five times six times.
0: Dang, I was so close.
1: Do you know how many times it's mentioned? Well, it, it's there's one event of it in the New Testament, which is when Jesus, which is the seventh, has which is the seventh when Jesus has it with his disciples. So it's interesting the way that the Bible is actually structured around that. But what wow. that means, although the Passover you know happened every year, when the Bible points it out to you, yeah. it's always when something profound is about to happen. Like so, entrance into the promised land. Like entrance into the promised land. And it's a funny thing. As they're preparing to go forward into the promised land, they're called to look backwards on what God has done. Mm. Because it's this moment for them to remember God's faithfulness and his fruition and the way that he brought them out. Because it's useless for Israel to go forward into the promise that he's given them if they don't remember actually where they've come from. Right. Which is, um, yeah, it's it's a very, yeah, it's very important for them. So there's that.
0: Sorry. I <laughs> Scott, to... Scott just actually cued me to keep talking. And Sorry. then I just decided to like look at him and like. Um, well, I had a whole bunch of things to say. I, I, um, this is funny because my, yeah, my, my whole, my whole thing that I, oh. I'm actually trying to talk about as we're going is so directly related to how the gospel presents, how the gospel presents bread. Yeah. No, totally and then yes because i mean we have the the cessation right now of the of the bread from heaven as soon as they step uh, as soon as they eat of the produce of the land yeah the lord's like dude no more manana bread for you manicotti <laughs> no more mana witches mana witch <laughs>
1: um So there's three things that that happen here in this scene. First, Joshua has to circumcise everybody, or make sure they're circumcised. Which is rough. The second is that they have their Passover. And then the third thing is that, like Father Peter said, the manna stops, which has been sustaining them for all this time. So those those three things, um, it's really fascinating. Of course, the circumcision is necessary for the Passover. The Passover is necessary so they look back on what God has done. But what the Passover and the circumcision are doing, according to the story, is showing, actually, it's funny, it says in the text in verse 9, what we get here, is um, the Israelites were encamped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. The word Gilgal, this place that they happen to be camped out, mm-hmm. it's not what you're thinking. Gil- that they Gal- ha-
0: it's not about the gallbladder? No,
1: it's not. But this place that they're camped out, the literal translation of Gilgal, the Hebrew term means to be means to roll away. So they're camped at the place of rolling away. And you're like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> roll out. Roll
0: out of the stone. What? <laughs> roll out. Roll yeah. out. But it's... Because um, they're about to roll out to desert? No,
1: it's actually not. It's, it's the idea, and this is how the rabbis all saw this, it's rolling away the reproach of Israel. Hmm. It's finally getting... So, you know, as it, it's been said many times, Israel is now out of Egypt, but they need to get the Egypt out of Israel. Right. right. Which is partially what this circumcision, what this Passover celebration is doing. Um, the the Hebrew word that's kind of related here for reproach, so rolling getting rid of the reproach of Egypt, which is referred here, um, the the word uh kera, kera pa, kera pa, refers to verbal abuse and, and the language it covers things like taunting, slander, insult and shame. And the idea is what Israel is carrying with her for all of these years are the false words that define her life in Egypt. Mm. The insult, the shame, the being covered, the being less than. And this is God saying, okay, no, you are a new creation. It's echoing or it's, it's prefiguring what the second reading is going to talk about. God is calling them to be a new creation, to look back on what God has done for them, but to get rid of all of those, those, those words and those identities that they've been carrying with them through the time of Egypt. I mean, I, I was thinking about this this morning and how applicable this is for us of how many things that we carry with us and these identities and the shame and all of the words that we carry with us. And this place, Gilgal, is meant to be the place where we cast those things off. Where we realize, no, this is who we are. And the circumcision for them is the mark of that identity. We are God's sons and daughters. And that's also why God says, okay, it's the time for this manna to cease. Because now you're going to go and you're going to eat the fruit of your land. You're going to go into your home. I'm not, it's not the, uh, you know, you're not having the Cheetos snack packs in the car anymore. We've arrived at the destination. <laughs> Cheetos snack packs. That sounds good, doesn't it? It really does. But it's funny about the manna, because I know you want to talk about the manna. The manna is just a funny thing to me. And I'm not going to go so far as to say the manna was a punishment, but I just think the very way that the manna showed up in the first place is weird. Because remember that it shows up in, it's in uh, Exodus chapter 16. And, it, you know, Israel's, <laughs> going, <laughs> Israel's going around. They've just come through the Red Sea. It's They've crossed the Red Sea. It's been parted. They've really seen what God has done. Um, they've sang in verse 15, or chapter 15, the song the The hymn of Muriel, right, where they, they extol the great works of God and how grateful they are. And they saw the Israelites and the horse and rider cast into the sea. Dun, 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 dun. But they're singing these great hymns of redemption. And then immediately, almost immediately, they're like, but we're really hungry. Would that we had the flesh pots of Egypt. We should just turn back now because it's miserable out here and we're hungry and we're thirsty. And how dare you take us out here, Moses? And you want to be like, didn't you? you just... Ended the hymn of your redemption, where you crossed the Red Sea, and now you're whining that you don't have the meat that you had in Egypt.
0: If I could turn oh, back time, really? Yeah, dude. Share, Thank you, Celine. Share, oh, or share. Celine or whoever <laughs> they, they 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 were feeling that too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're like they're they're right in that moment, and yet- and that's the moment that God gives them the
1: manna. But but I always wonder, manna. You know you know what the word manna means in Hebrew what is it what is it so they literally look and there. so we picture these loaves of bread these croissants falling from heaven and stuff. Croissants. And it's it's this it's literally this weird kind of flaky stuff that they're like what is that okay eat it i guess we'll have hey this. jimmy hey hey yeah. but you don't get the sense that this is like oh thank goodness this is the best it's just like okay i guess we'll have that and it just makes me wonder what would have happened if they'd had waited and been patient on God? What did Did he have something else for them? Did he have something more for them? I, I don't know. Or maybe this was, you know, the rabbis also have this great line. They say, no bread, no Torah, which is essentially the rabbis reflecting on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you haven't fed somebody adequately, you, you know Maslow's hierarchy of I needs? Do. We, we teach this at Camboitiwa. If a student is hasn't slept and they're not fed. Well, it doesn't really matter what you're going to teach them because they're not going to retain it if they haven't had the basic needs fulfilled. So God's like, all right, this people isn't getting it. I want to form them, but they're hungry. So I'm just going to give them, I'm going to feed them and then I can move on and begin to teach them and give them the law. So there's this simultaneous like, man, I wish Israel had just been faithful and, and obedient and patient with God. But at the same time, wow, praise be to God that he just, he still met them where they were and give them, gave them, what they needed so that they could just take the next step and keep moving. But now in the moment, is the moment in the story of this transitional kind of weird, what is it? Okay, that's done now. Now it's time for milk and honey. Now it's time for crops and for animals and for feasts. Now it's time to go home because there is something about the manna that was just weird. And of course, it's prefiguring Jesus, the true bread come down from heaven. But, but just like the circumcision, there's something about it. You're just like, there's got to be more than this. Yeah. And there is. And th- this is the moment that God is leading them to at this moment. Yeah. But it entails casting off this I- false identity that they've carried from Egypt, the, the false worship that they brought with them, the false labels that were placed on them. It involves all the casting of those things off and a stepping forward in faith. That's what this moment is all about. In total trust. I mean, the moment, think about this, the moment that they're about to go into battle to get the promised land, they undergo pretty painful surgery and they're stripped of all their food. I mean, does that sound like the most logical way to go into battle? Definitely not. Definitely not, which is this reminder, no, it's not about Israel going into battle. It's about God wanting to show them, I'm going to provide for you. So just to make it interesting, I'll have you undergo a pretty severe surgery and I'm going to take away your food. Just so there's no mistaking who's actually fighting this battle. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> God's not breaking <laughs> up with them. But, yeah. Anyway, those are my thoughts on that. Dude, those are phenomenal thoughts. Which is a great in, in,
0: uh, insight. It's a great uh, Segway. segue. Segway. Thank you, Father. Yeah, it's a great path. It's a great wandering, a great um, interlude, an intermediary, a bridge. Two-wheeled mall
1: security guard riding device. Into the psalm. Into the psalm. Psalm 34, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Tasting and seeing the goodness of the Lord. In this case, again, reflecting on the first reading, mm. it's not just tasting and seeing the weirdness of the manna that had been falling. <laughs> it's
0: now, th- this. the manna dude, is- Dude, how long have you been thinking about saying that one? Let's be honest. That was which, a sweet line, dude. What? It's not just about tasting and seeing the weirdness of the manna, dude. but <laughs> well, you I, I haven't. I just literally on the spot. dude that was that's really, how my mind that, works. Yeah, man, you're awesome.
1: but but this is the problem with how we live our lives. The manna was good. I mean, mm. make no mistake, but God says, but there's something better. Don't stay on the manna forever. That's not where I want you. And we tend to take good things that God gives us, and we're not willing to abandon the good things for the sake of the better things.
0: That is and so that's, true. Well, that's
1: what the tasting and seeing the goodness of the Lord. Yes, the manna was very good, but now it's time to put that aside and have the real feast. That's the it's the bread that they're bringing to the table at the fancy restaurant. Don't fill up on the bread, man. Get ready for the you know the main course. Mm. That's what that's what the psalm is trying to say. I will bless the Lord at all times when I've got the manna and when I don't have the manna because I know that there's more to be tasted. Yeah, because I know He's leading me. Uh, his praise will ever be on my mouth. Let my soul glory in the Lord. The lowly will hear me and be glad because they know that the Lord is always going to provide even in those times that we don't have it in hand. We know it's coming. Mm. And that's what they were supposed to know before the manna came. But regardless, God gives them the manna anyway. It's a great psalm. I think it's a, a, the perfect psalm to, to, to tie, it all, again, together, to tie it all together.
0: Absolutely, which leads us directly into the Second Corinthians. It
1: does. The 2 Corinthians...
0: The, the the two core. I mean, they are capitals. Two core, two core. What are cap- oh capitals? Cor- Corinthian Cor- capitals. I don't know. It was, an architect- <laughs> it was architectural no, geekery good. at oh, its finest. You I was going to say it's
1: not the capital of Macedonia. Um, Athens was. No, everything I just said was false. And whatever. Cut that out. Okay. Second Corinthians.
0: How does Second Corinthians oh, man. fit into all of this? I mean, so like, well. See, like, because I'm reading this and I'm like. Okay. Yeah. Reconciliation. Oh, this man. is good, but, but I, I'm in it's I'm everything. In, I'm in like Breadtown.
1: No, no, this is it. This is Breadtown. So uh, brothers and sisters, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. How do you, for Paul, how do you become in Christ? How do you become a new creation? Baptism. And what is baptism? The new version of? Circumcision. Circumcision. So this is a commentary in a certain mm. sense on the first reading. Now that Israel encamped at Gilgal, has been circumcised, they are a new creation. They're not in Christ, but they are in God in a profound way that they weren't before that. Right. Whoever is in Christ, whoever has been circumcised for Israel, is now literally a new creation. The old things, what are the old things? The Egypt that you've carried with you in your heart, the idolatry, the identity, the labels, the slavery, those old things, even the manna has passed away And now new things have come. Literally, you're standing on the border of this promised land. You can see the hills and the greenery and the creeks and the rivers and the places that you're going to plant your vineyards and your flocks. All of those things have now come. And all of this is from God. I'm literally reading through 2 Corinthians. Who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. How? By casting off the old. That's what Gilgal means. Rolling off the old. Casting off of those things. I mean, if that was amazing, if that was, if that was this profound moment, it's nothing compared to what Christ has actually done. Yeah. As we stand, you know, as we're baptized, we stand on the bridge. I'm I'm uh, one of my very best friends is going to be hopefully baptized this Easter. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's an, an adult baptism is so interesting because realizing you are literally on the brink of something that you cannot even begin to imagine what it's going to taste like and to cast off those things of the old life as you stand on the border of something new. But are you willing to make that step? Are you willing to make that commitment to say amen to the words of the priest, to undergo, to go into the water as Israel crossed the Jordan river to go into the promised land. Are you willing to go into those waters of baptism to cast off to the old things and to behold the new things that have come and taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Paul is saying what Israel went through was profound, but it's nothing compared to what happens at every single baptism. It is the new promised land that you're waiting to enter into. It's not just a land flowing with milk and honey and a land that comes out of the slavery, the political slavery of Egypt, but it's the slavery of death and sin and the promised land of being a new creation in Christ. Every aspect of your life is now different. Yeah. So I, I think it's a direct correlation with what's going on. It's a parallel story to the first reading but about two different levels of what this is. Level up. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, the whole reading is about not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting them to the message of reconciliation. Don't forget, now granted, the older generation have died off, but this is the group of people that were worshiping the golden calf. And even after that, they're still worshiping idols, even into the book of Numbers. They're still doing all these things, and they're being offered once. I mean, we have this image of the God of the Old Testament being this God of wrath and of anger and of punishment, but that's not the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the God of constantly drawing people back and saying, look, here's another opportunity to cast those things off and to move forward into who I want you to be. It's just that Israel screws up a lot just like we all do. Yeah. But it's the constantly God coming back and saying, okay, let's get back up. Let's try again. Let's move forward again. It's not the God of wrath and anger. It's the God of reconciliation and forgiveness at every turn of the Old Testament to a people that could barely handle it, just like us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I think the second reading fits in, in quite well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which is, I mean, talk about the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, the... Penultimate story yeah. of reconciliation that exists, which right. I mean, Franco Zeffirelli's um, Jesus of Nazareth, like, yeah. like the, his his portrayal of Jesus telling the story of the Prodigal Son is like one of the best artistic Christian expressions that I've ever seen. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I'm sorry.
1: I know it's a classic. Well, I confess that the, the, I roll old, it off of
0: me. Really, the old, the best part about the whole thing is actually this scene, no. Be- because like what what you see is him in a dinner, talking to sinners and tax collectors yeah. with the scribes and Pharisees listening in, surrounding and like. I love the image that you you get the sense that he's in this house dining, and they're like around the windows and doors, like eavesdropping. That's to exactly and Zeffirelli's doing it. That's exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And and so like and like there's all these people and they like the dinner stops and they're like looking at him so intently. Well, because you and I know about the the fact that the, this was a typical normal story that you would have encountered. Yes. That that it, it but the the ending that the rabbis of the time would have actually given would have been so dramatically different. Yes. That you would have, that that the father would have run out, met him at the edge of town, and poured out a bowl of rotten vegetables and said, this is what you are to me.
1: Yeah, what was ex- this is literally, it's, and it's not just the way a story would have been told. It was what's expected culturally. So, I mean, this son, you guys know the story of the prodigal son probably, right? The son no. goes to his father. and I just said that You guys over there. But the son goes to his, this son goes to his father and says, father, I want my share of the inheritance, which, of course, when do
0: you get your inheritance? When somebody dies, somebody
1: dies. So he's basically saying, "I wish you were dead."
0: Well, yeah, well, and he says, "Actually, I want you to give me your BIOS. I mean, like your life, yeah. very life force."
1: Which, I mean, again, we're we're kind of so familiar with this story. We're like, but, "Oh, the prodigal not son." The, not
0: the boot sequence on your computer, which is another thing. <laughs>
1: I don't even I don't know what that means, Father Peter.
0: That's right. That's because you're not a geek. I'm not, but our geek listeners
1: will be very appreciative. <laughs> They'll be like, "Ha ha, ha oh, 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 <laughs> he oh, just oh, oh.
0: mentioned BIOS. <laughs>
1: Let me put that on my JavaScript. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's basically saying that... he's telling. I mean, he's oh man. I I love one of my favorite things about teaching the Bible or about speaking about the Bible is reminding people how weird the things that we've forgotten are actually weird are. Hmm. So here is the son. I mean, what if your what if your child came to you and says, "Father, I wish you were dead. Give me whatever inheritance you would give me if you died." I mean. Wh- you, I, I would. I can't imagine what I would say if one of my kids said that. Granted, they're seven and five, so that would be a whole different <laughs> level of problem if they did. But you know, I mean, imagine a teenage kid being like, "I wish you were dead. Give me my money." What would most fathers say? I mean, are you kidding? Like, leave me alone. Get out, the Get house, out of the house, house. You're not gonna, or or just write them off. Like, are you kidding me? No, I'm not gonna give you any money. You just told me you wish I was dead. But the the strangeness about the story is that he says yes. I mean that's bizarre this father who says oh you wish I was dead you want your inheritance money okay here you go and he gives him the money that's baffling to me mm. that this father actually does this which in a certain sense kind of demeans himself he's like oh, okay I will I will do this I will I will humble myself in a very real way mm. and give you this inheritance mm. okay that's I mean from the get-go. That is profound. But you can see why people listening to the story would be like, what a rotten, good-for-nothing son. What a jerk. He deserves to be punished. And then not only that, but he goes off and he squanders his money and he uses it on debauchery and all sorts of terrible things as if it wasn't bad enough just to ask for it. He wastes all of it and uses it on, on awful things. And then he has the gall to come back And he's going to throw himself at his father's feet and basically ask his father to take him back as a slave or a servant. And what's expected is if a son were to do something like that, to humiliate his father, to reject his family lineage. I mean, remember, inheritance in this time is probably land, which he... Ancestral land is probably what he received, which if you're thinking in terms of an Israelite, a good Jew... Land always goes back to this first reading. It's the land that God gave us after the Exodus. It's the promised land. It's not just the land that your grandfather and your great-great-grandfather had and farmed. It's the land that the God who is gave to our family. That's what he sold and squandered on loose living. Not just his father's hard-earned money. The land that God gave his forefathers. Just to add another level of intensity to this. And so that's why the whole city, the whole town would be, it's not just he's embarrassed the father, he has shamed the whole town because God gave us this land. He shamed all of Israel for Pete's sake by doing this. And then he has the gall to come back. So what was appropriate is that you would go out, like you said, with a pot of rotted vegetables, dump them at his feet and say, this is what you are to me. You are excommunicated. You're no longer allowed back here. And this was a practice that was done, the dumping the vegetables, you're excommunicated but again like you said that's not what the father does he he not only does he not do that but he runs to meet
0: him you know as i was as i was engaging this story like the way in which uh, he was engaging he gave himself over to foreign nations yeah 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 so yeah. so we have so we so he embodies israel doesn't he, he? no this is the, this is the story of israel yes so he embodies Israel. He gives himself to over to the other nations, but yes. what happens is that nobody will give him anything to eat, which is what sharing a meal with somebody is a sign of a covenant. Yes. So they they never really covenant themselves with him. No one will covenant themselves with him. The, so yeah. there's there's no exchange of persons. And so so it's not just uh. that he can't eat, but there's no like like there's no personalism. He's like he's like yes. radically isolated. Yes. And so, so like, I think that that's just an important, it's a, it's, it was an important detail that I've never tuned into before. Yes. But that, that he really was lonely. Yeah. And like, and that was actually, that, that was oh. Israel's experience in Egypt. Israel is lonely. Is <laughs> lonely. It's, it's Israel's
1: experience throughout the entire Old Testament, as much yeah. as Israel, I mean, this is why Israel, this is why the constant perennial sin is trying to join themselves with other nations constantly. Even after the Exodus, they try to go back and join themselves with Egypt saying, hey, will you be our ally? Hey, Assyria, will you be our ally? Hey, Babylon, will you be our political ally? Mm. And they either reject them or they end up killing them in the end. But this is the story of Old Testament Israel. They're so lonely because they can't rely on God on their father alone. They desperately seek after joining themselves with other nations and the nations either always reject them or kill them.
0: Dude, okay. This is
1: the sun. I've never
0: thought about this. Can I blow your mind for a second? Blow it! This is the story of Christ. Oh. Christ enters into the whole story of Israel because what is fruitfulness but actually garnering the nations to come and to experience the Lord, but they will not covenant themselves with him. Ooh. And in Israel in is isolated until ultimately Christ actually has to wander through the desert, like suffer all of the curses and the punishments to actually die. And suffer give. the consequences of the sins of right. his people. Exactly to actually go through this, this is what his exodus actually is. Oh yeah. So we're we're sitting on the very edge, and then what does he want to do? So because because we think that you know what here's somebody who's cursed. I mean Jesus Christ became a curse for us. Yeah. But what is what does he do? He comes to him to the father with ex- the most extreme humility, and the father doesn't reject the son, but receives the son, puts power sandals back on his feet, ring robe kills the fatted calf invites the great feast this
1: is the canonic hymn of philippians 2 remember absolutely because he emptied himself the father has
0: super exalted him that's yes. the
1: ring that's the robe that's the fatted calf
0: the, the, oh wow i've never seen the product because normally ah. what, what we would see is we see the sinner but jesus christ yes. became sin for us and humbled himself. And humbled himself. And, and like he, he, but but nobody would even, like, it's, I don't know, there's, there's, there's something that I'm grasping at here. Wow, of, no, of you're, the you're hitting of Christ it. That, that we are actually called into, and like, th- that's the, that's this really wild forerunner in the crucifixion and the passion and then then the invitation to what the wedding feast of the Lamb is. Well, what's even more profound is that he's going
1: to be handed over to, well— so I'm thinking about the scene. Again, these Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, they're all outside the house. They have self-described themselves in this time as the fathers of Israel. Oh. They they call themselves the elders, the fathers, the parents. Oh. They're the ones who are supposed to teach. And here you have Jesus in the house full of sinners, tax collectors, all these people. All the prodigals. All these prodigals. And he's, he, so as on the cross, he's going to become the son. Here in this moment, he is embodying the father. Yes, that he's accepting him. The others who are claiming to be fathers—so we always associate the Pharisees and the religious leaders with the elder brother, which is true, and we're right to do that. But what he's also reminding them: Hey, you guys call yourselves the fathers and the shepherds. But before this, he told the story of the the uh, ninety-nine. That she, you know, the shepherd with the ninety-nine. The ninety-nine she- bottles
0: 99. of beer on the wall. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah.
1: that. But he's saying, you guys call yourselves shepherds. You guys call yourselves fathers. You are rejecting the sons that are right here in front of you, on their knees, begging to be united back. And I'm doing it instead. In the same way, I'm going to take on the consequences of what they've done. And I'm going to stand before you, and you will not receive me either, and you will cast me out, and you will kill me in the way that society expected the good father to do. You will embody that. And so in a certain sense, what's happening is Jesus being... What does a good king do? He embodies his people. Who is Jesus embodying? Well, he's embodying the leaders and the father. He's also embodying the son and the sinners. He takes all of it on himself at one time or another because he is the king of all. Dude, mind blown. they have blown. no idea. Holy cow. But again, this is... It's also... The story of Israel. I mean, this is the story of Israel on the cusp. As there we are, we are willing. I mean, imagine Old Testament Israel and Joshua. We're willing to be circumcised. We're willing to undergo this suffering, to remember who we are, to prepare for what is to come. There's a there is a real humility. There's a real suffering that has to be undergone of recognizing, no, I am a sinner in need of God's mercy. Which is there's a stripping of
0: ourselves. A stripping that's yes. the thing. That's the circumcision yes. of, the, of the heart. Of the heart. And that's actually, that's actually the experience of the prodigal is that he's being circumcised in heart and returning to the father so that he can't even recognize, so that he recognizes fundamentally in his life more so than even just in, in, in natural circumcision, but in the fundamental existence of his being that he is receiving mercy. But he's also calling the people listening to him in the room
1: to yep. do the same thing. Be like the Son. Humble yourself. Strip yourself. Come before the Father. Come before me. Turn from your sin. He's calling them to do the same thing, because you know. And again, relate this again to the first reading. This idea of Gilgal rolling away, and the etymology being with with insults and taunts and labels. These are the people who are labeled by the people standing outside of the house as the sinners, the tax collectors, the evil ones, the outcasts, the you know. Whatever. Jerks. Jesus is saying you can cast off those things. You are not bound by them anymore. What the Pharisees and the scribes call you is not your identity. Be Gilgal. Be the ones who are able to roll that off because of the grace I'm offering you. Because of stripping yourselves of that, of those sins, of that self-pride kneeling, humbling yourself before the Father, you can also strip yourself of the false labels, the taunts, the mockery of even the religious leaders of your time. You
0: can be Israel made new. And in the liturgy, what happens is that we move from bread in the desert to meat in the house. And in fact, it's actually all then combined Eucharistically oh, man. into the flesh of Christ that came truly from the bread, the truly true bread from heaven within the house out of the desert. Uh, also, I mean, I'm trying
1: to go on that theme. I mean, the bread in the first reading, right? The manna yeah. is ceasing. It's ceasing and they're moving into the Passover celebration. Right. They're exchanging the manna, which is now not going to fall for the lamb which is going to be slaughtered so that they can go into the promised land. Jesus, again, which is, is all the, the preparation for the, the lamb
0: preparation for the true
1: Passover. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. He's getting ready. Get it ready, baby. Roll out, which is going to happen in a couple chapters from where Luke is at this point. And a couple of weeks from where and we are. And a couple of weeks from piece. where we are. Not to
0: mention. <laughs> Boom, man. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Fun. Hey, howdy. Dude, good job. Good job to you. Yeah, good job, all of you who just actually tried to make intelligible what we just said. It's fun, though. It's so fun. To kind of unpack this, because we never know what God's going to kind of bring to light when
1: you really dig into the scriptures.
0: No, you really don't. Wow. praise be to God for it. Now and forever. And unto ages and ages. Amen. Amen.
1: All right, guys, we'll be back next week for the fifth Sunday of Lent. Uh, Wisdom be attentive. Indeed. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.